Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Frank Gore Jr., Southern Miss Golden Eagles, and you listen to Fun Belt Podcast. Southern Miss to the Fun top. Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of fun, Sunbelt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we've got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. Belt podcast. The gang is all back together. None of us have hit the transfer portal just yet. We're all here. <laughs> tears are rolling down Jeremy's cheeks as we realize that the 2022 season has come <laughs> to an end. Tears of joy and relief. Thank God almighty, Tibbs, that this season is over. But not without controversy, of course. Oh, don't <laughs> pray tell. I mean, we have the we have the Sunbelt Western Division champs, obviously, in Troy. Well-deserved, well-earned. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's because all the teams in that division were eligible to fight it out. And they, you know what, they, 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 they determined who was going to get that division title based on play on the field. And it was not Arkansas State. No, it wasn't ULM either. You're damn right. <laughs> But then on the east, oh, okay. Are we are, are, first of all? Are we really surprised that it's Coastal Carolina that will be headed to Troy to represent the Eastern Division, or, or, or is anybody really surprised at that? All right, yes, because all of us said at the beginning of the year, Coastal isn't all that, and we were like, well, you know, Grayson McCall is hurt; he's coming back from that injury. They lost too many guys. Appalachian State's going to be strong. The East is a, is, a, is a meat grinder. Coastal Carolina is too soft to handle that. I, I don't know about you, Tibbs, and I don't know about you, Shane Metlin, but for me, I'm a little bit surprised that ended up being Coastal Carolina. Yeah, I mean, we didn't pick Coastal to begin with, do we? We have to admit that. I think we were all pretty high on app the start of the season. I probably would have put Coastal in a group of three or four that I thought maybe had a shot, but – they wouldn't necessarily have been my number one pick. So, yeah, I think Shane, if I recall, some of us were more enthusiastic about like Georgia State than we were about Coastal Carolina. We 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 thought maybe, yeah. and I I don't recall anybody thinking about JMU very much either, except one guy, one guy in this group might have been thinking JMU. Yeah, Kurt Signetti. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, Absolutely. I really thought App was a pretty strong favorite to start the season, and. It didn't turn out to be. Yeah, and and I, I know that we're going to discuss, you know, the, the the controversy between JMU 
and Coastal and whether or not it's fair that JMU has been. And I, I guess that's the controversy you're talking about, right, Tibbs? That is correct. That JMU, <laughs> with the same 6-2 and two record and having beat Coastal Carolina yeah. in a normal year, would have been your uh-huh. Eastern Division champs. Instead, not eligible due to transition year, so it's mm-hmm. Coastal Carolina. But James Madison, JMU, the Dukes, the Purple, they say, you know what? We're the Eastern champs. <laughs> and, and, you know, I like the rivalry. I like the controversy of it. Uh-huh. But you knew damn well coming into it, when you signed up to go up to FBS, when you signed up to join the Sun Belt, you weren't eligible. This wasn't sprung on you December 1st, where all of a sudden – Keith Gill's yanking the carpet out from under you. You knew going into it, and you knew based on history, you were going to run the tables and be a damn good team, and you were going to have nothing to show for it. Am I the only one that thinks that? No. In fact, I'm a kind of a rules or rules kind of guy, and the chain, I know that you want to weigh in on this. I think you'll have some penetrating insight on it. But one thing that I, I one I did kind of hope that JMU was going to lose that game, only so I wouldn't have to bear the 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 the, the or, or feel any of those slings and arrows flying by my head as the two factions fought it off. But I, the same thing happened. Am, am I correct to Georgia Southern and correct. Appalachian State? But that year there were no divisions. And so Georgia Southern was atop the standings. And so they were conference champs, just ineligible to go any further. That's right. Okay. So it's, it's not like this is something that's brand new. I do agree that JMU was the better team. And that is not something that I know that I didn't predict. You know, I think I had them finishing next to last or last. I had them finishing last simply because I didn't know anything about James Madison, Uh, seeing them play in person. Uh, watching them throughout the year, uh, I've come to realize that James Mass is a damn good team. I think Coastal Carolina is a damn good team. But uh, I would like to hear what they're saying, Shane, out there in your neck of the woods. What are they saying about this this setup for James Madison, Coastal Carolina, and you being denied your 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 shot at taking a Sun Belt title? I think probably it's less about playing in the championship game there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of that talk about like oh the rule's stupid it shouldn't still exist but they did know what they were getting into um i think what's been more interesting at least to me is like learning how differently different conferences handle their divisions and like you know i remember years past where back when the big 12 had divisions if there was a tie you have co-champions, but then there's a tiebreaker for who plays in the thing. And, uh, you know, apparently that's not the case in the Sun Belt, where whoever plays in the championship game is the champion. Like I was, you know, joking around in the press box, you know, what if you had five teams that were ineligible for bowls for whatever reason, probation or APR or whatever, <laughs> like, could you, could you be sending your third or fourth place team and calling them the champion? Like it'd be, it'd be kind of a funny if that ever happened, but um, that might be the only way the Red Wolves and the Warhawks ever get a shot shot at championship. But yeah, it, it's it's been a lot of like a lot of debate about something that's just completely semantics on how the conference decides to declare something. Because you know, obviously, JMU can 
rightfully claim first place, but they can't claim champions. And it's just the wording of it is really like the only, the only debate. And like, I did find it interesting that uh, was reading up on Jamie Chadwell's contract and he gets a huge bonus for division championships, which he apparently will get now, even though, um, you know, a yeah, different situation. I'm glad that that this 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 bizarre setup enabled him to earn just a little bit more money out of coastal Carolina. I think that's pretty cool. And so, guys, do you, is this the same setup too for basketball? We know James Madison could have a very good season in basketball too. Is there a chance that James Madison won't be your basketball champion as well? No, no there. It's a football. They're, they're in for every other sport. It's just football because. Football was moving up in a divi- in divisions. Everything else is just all in the one A basket or in and, the division one basket. And and bowling, Jeremy, you don't have to worry about Arkansas State's bowling. <laughs> that is safe. James Madison will not take that from you. Uh, James Madison couldn't even hope to take bowling from us. We, <laughs> Red Wolves are the predominant bowling school in the mid south. So I don't I don't have anything to worry about James Madison. Predominant? <laughs> I don't even know. You know, I've had half a beer. I've been sick. I've had a little bit of COVID, so uh, you know I'm not at my best. I, I might drop a few words that aren't actually words. I might slip into a coma. I don't know what's going to happen with this show, Tibbs. We never know what's going to happen with this show <laughs> any week. <laughs> but anyway, congratulations to James Madison. Let's admit, we didn't realize that James Madison was going to be this dominant. Had that struggle with three losses, and we thought, well, maybe James Madison is human after all. Came back strong with some wins at the end. That win against Coastal. That who, Tibbs, did you watch this game, by the way? I watched a lot of Sunbelt football this past weekend. Did you Did you see the James Madison game over Coastal? That whooping, sure did. <laughs> it started off with Coastal with the whooping, right? They come up with the seven points. Guess we looked very good. I think both of us made a similar comment on the, on, on the Twitters about how uh, McCall is must be a system quarterback because you know apparently anybody can run that system and be successful, and then they didn't score again. <laughs> that was so nice of him to let James Madison back into the conversation for a div- division championship. <laughs> yeah, we could have all this unseemliness could have been could have been avoided had James Madison just done the polite thing and just uh, allowed Coastal to win. I, I, that's actually kind of rude, Shane. Shane, you need to go to your people and explain to them a little bit of something like I like to call Southern manners. Yeah, well, <laughs> Kurt Signetti, I mean, he was, he did live in Morgantown, West Virginia when he was younger, yeah. but he's more of a Pennsylvania guy. He's a Yankee. He doesn't necessarily <laughs> have the, uh, have have the southern hospitality and you know quite honestly he definitely doesn't have any southern hospitality for jamie chadwell i don't think those two get along with. <laughs> uh, i if, if i know one thing about coach signetti is that he doesn't give a shit <laughs> i love that guy he's just such a just such a cool customer uh but hey let's talk a little bit about the 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 western champs tibbs let's talk a little bit about troy i i you know, I did pick Troy and South. I picked Troy and South Alabama to be the top two teams. I think I ended up picking Troy. I have to look back to make sure, simply because I thought they were going to be the most complete program out of a bunch of programs that weren't complete at all. 
but the West turned out to be pretty competitive, did it not? It did. It was it was great. To me, the real story of that Troy Trojan offense, though, not to take anything away from Gunnar Watson. I, I like Gunnar. think he's a great quarterback. Hope he sticks around and is not going to try to upsell himself in the portal. Okay. But Amani Vidal, that guy is an absolute beast. I thought when he went ham against ULM, that that was kind of his peak of the season. Nah, no, two touchdowns, 208 against Arkansas State. And, and, and I'm anxious to see what he can do this weekend against Coastal Carolina, knowing that we saw in James Madison game, they couldn't stop the run. Well, here's something, too, about Troy that, that sort of surprised me. They, they barely – they didn't score any points all year. You know, it was all defense. It was Col- uh, Carlton Marshall – it was that big defensive line. Uh, they did all the heavy work. And then suddenly Vidal comes around, who he was mostly invisible for the first half of the season. I don't know if he was hurt. I don't know what was going on. Didn't really hear about the guy. Suddenly he's putting up back-to-back 200-yard games and giving the Trojans a, a wrinkle that they didn't have all season long. And that, to me, makes them the most dangerous team in the Sun Belt. And, pro- and I believe, are they not the favorite, the Vegas favorite to win this game? Yeah, I believe a two-touchdown favorite. Mm, yeah. Well, they're playing at the Veterans Stadium, which uh, I, I'm Larry sure. Blakeney Field. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for, for completing that thought for me. And uh, I don't see any reason why Troy cannot win this game, especially with Grayson McCall not behind set. Yeah, I would be surprised if Troy doesn't win, you know, honestly, like unless Grayson McCall comes back and has, you know, the hero's triumphant return where he just carries Troy or carries Coastal Carolina. I, I really think uh, Troy should win this one by a couple touchdowns. Reminiscent no, of the time that Colton Browning at ULM miraculously <laughs> returned after a cracked sternum after drinking, I don't know, goat's blood or something that, that miraculously healed him and returned him to the starting lineup. But the Warhawks still didn't do very well in 2013. I can't believe that you dropped, dropped a Colton Browning reference on a day that should be all about uh, 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 Troy and Coastal Carolina. You have to bring in the great Colton Browning to, to, to smudge the accomplishments of these two great programs. One of my favorite quarterbacks ever is a Troy Trojan of Omar Hogabook, and I saw the Warhawks take down Larry Blakeney in his Trojans and Omar Hogabook in Malone Stadium. <laughs> the old man of the podcast happens to be the youngest guy on the podcast. That's the weirdest thing about, about all of it, but, but that's okay. So, all right, but here's one thing I wanted to throw, throw at you guys. I, I don't know if we're going to recap last week's games or not. <clears throat> don't know if it's even necessary, especially since Arkansas State lost. But they did look good <laughs> they for, had their for, moments. for about three quarters. Three, three quarters, and then the fourth quarter came, as usual. But one thing I, I would like to say, and I, I'd like to throw it to both of you guys, was the West much stronger this year than we thought it was going to be. I think so. I think, you know, we didn't, I didn't expect much out of Southern Miss at all. And, you know, they ended up being, you know, pretty solid. Uh, 
Troy and South Alabama are as good as anybody in the conference, you know, and, you know, even, you know, a ULM that didn't have much expectation for not a winning record, but they were competitive. They could, they factored into how things played out. Um, you know, I just think, yeah, the, the division was pretty strong. I mean, Texas state coach gets fired after not making a bowl game again, but they're beating up They're they're yeah. in games. It's um, yeah, it, it was the entire conference top to bottom was really tough. Yeah. You got Cajuns beating the, the uh, Georgia Southern. You've got, uh, <clears throat> you, you, you got some upsets over there in the end, I think head to head, the East ended up winning four games over the West and the West over the East, but it was very close. And I, I think that it's not only that the West was a little bit stronger than we thought. I think the East in some regards, not maybe not on the top, but on the bottom was a little weaker than we thought. I think Georgia state was a huge disappointment this year. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, old dominion, kind of ended up being the team everybody thought they were going to be, a struggling team, even though they started off strong. Uh, I, I think Georgia Southern, they became bowl eligible, which is great, uh, and they were much better than anybody anticipated, but they still could get beat. So, And then Marshall, very disappointing for most of the season, ended up kind of coming back, coming back strong at the end, but uh, looked very beatable at times. So it, it, I think when the season started, and, and Tibbs and I, I think, both agree when we're at Sunbelt, the Sunbelt uh, Conference media days, that the East was coming in with such confidence. They, they just seemed like every program in the East walked in like they were just going to win the championship. Every, every program from the West came in talking kind of like they're rebuilding, and it just didn't quite work out that way. Nine bowl eligible teams, though. With five being in the East, it makes me lean a little bit more that the East was kind of the legitimate division. Oh, I agree. But the West, two ten win teams. What more could you ask for? You can't ask for more. All right, so let me ask you guys this. The most disappointing team. Tibbs, you first. I'm actually going to go Texas State. I really thought that that Spav's experiment of Juco transfer heavy was really going to pay off. Not necessarily that they were going to be a 10-win team, but they would be a six, maybe seven-win team and, and kind of win one for the Gipper and, and keep him around another year. Yeah, yeah that I, didn't happen. I did think that in, in a what we perceived as a soft Sun Belt West, that Texas State actually had a chance to make some noise. They did not, although they did be Appalachian State. How about you, Shane? Who was the most disappointing program in the Sun Belt this year? Uh, I think I'm going to lean towards App State. Just, yeah. I mean, I expect them to win the East. Them not possibly not qualifying for a bowl never even really crossed my mind. Um, you know, just to me, they're they're probably the most disappointing. I consider Georgia State, but that would probably be my most disappointing. Yeah, you know what? I, because you picked Appalachian State, I'm going to pick Georgia State, and, and not not simply because I thought. Georgia State was going to be a better team than Appalachian State. But mostly because I, I, I kind of started buying into the hype, the preseason hype, that Georgia State was this program that was ready to, 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 to make waves. 
And at times they seem like they were. I mean, they look great against James Madison that first half. I mean, they're causing uh, uh, a. Do you, Shane, do you remember how many fumbles James Madison had in that game? They had seven fumbles. And I think that's an incredible amount of fumbles. (laughs) I think they lost four of them. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was incredible. Uh, I don't know how you win a game with that many fumbles. But they, I mean, but they were that kind of team. They they could create that kind of mayhem. And what for whatever reason, they could not close out. I really don't understand what happened to Georgia State. I, I never really believed that they were this great team, but I thought they were going to be better than that. Tibbs, what, what was to you what was the most surprising team? <clears throat> I think the most surprising team, honestly, was James Madison. E- even yeah. though we had Shane and we had Noah in our ears telling us how great they were going to be. I don't think yeah. we bought into it. It's like, yeah, nope. okay. We, sure, we know they're, they're a good FCS school. <laughs> but but I feel like they really turned it on and, and showed that, that they belong, showed that they can compete, showed that they're ready to go. Now I'm interested to see, do they hit that sophomore slump or do they keep rising up? I, I'll, I'll do a 1B of, of the most surprising team, the Raging Cajuns. Oh, I think, okay, I think that we knew that they lost a lot of talent, the new coaching staff. Yeah. They were almost as much of a mystery as Old Dominion of not knowing really what to expect out of that team. And I think they, they pleasantly surprised us, showing that they, they could still hang around, go 6-6, six and six, and more than likely will be headed to a, a postseason bowl game. I think that is an interesting take you took on Louisiana because I was looking at them as a disappointment. When we were at uh, Sunbelt uh, Conference Media Days, I mean, how, how confident was everybody around us telling us that, oh, yeah, it's going to be another Cajuns Appalachian State showdown? Oh, <coughs> sorry, Cajuns are the defending champs. And they came out really weak. Now, they, they did come out with some good wins, and you're right, they did become bowl eligible. Quite frankly, is after being Sunbelt champ and just squeaking in as bowl eligible, is that good? Is, or, or, or are you right? They lost a lot, and they kind of rose above their means. For this year, I think, I think being bowl eligible was uh, a, a great step forward even. Hmm. And, okay. and I told you even back at Sunbelt Media Days, I, th- I think the, the over-under was eight and a half. I said, take the under. I said, I'm not saying that they're not a bad team. I just don't see that they're going to win nine games. All right. That's good analysis. How about you, T- or Tibbs? You, Shane. Well, who did you see as a surprise program? I would say Southern Miss probably surprised me the most. Yeah. Just because if if you told me they got bowl eligible, I could believe that. But I would have had to have said, okay, one of those quarterbacks just established himself as the guy and they saddled that, and their offense was humming. And, you know, if you told me they were still kind of just playing a whole bunch of different quarterbacks and Frank Gore is a super back, and, you know, mixing and matching all these different approaches on offense and got the six wins, I would not have believed that. I just, you know, been really impressed by Will Hall finding ways to be competitive, even when he's had a lot of, a lot of disadvantages since he took over. I think to win six wins – in a division that had two programs get 10 wins is pretty good. And for, for Will Hall to do that in his first year, 
at uh, Southern Miss is extraordinary. Uh, they're just—they're also one of those teams that I can't put my finger on what makes them good. I know the defense is pretty good, but other than that, and Frank Gore, we all know Frank Gore Jr. is really good. But is there, there's something about that team that I just cannot figure out. I think it's just some sort of Hattiesburg magic <laughs> that makes I, that team really good. I loved it even after they beat ULM this past weekend to close out the season. Walked down there to do some post-game interviews there with Southern Miss players. Yeah. The cigar smoke was was pouring out of the visiting <laughs> locker room, and, and it was fantastic. Uh, you know, I, they've got to be happy with themselves. I think, what, they win three games last year, two games last year, something three like that? Three and nine. Yeah, that's just a, just a miraculous recovery from that. And they've got to be really happy with their new head coach. Uh, I think my surprise team was Georgia Southern. Uh, not necessarily that they're bowl eligible, uh, although a little bit of that, but the way they became bowl eligible, I really did not believe that the the switch from that that funky uh, three, uh, uh, what do you call it, triple option offense that they had, and then going just the sort of traditional uh, pass-heavy offense. I, how, how could that possibly work Which after one year? How do you get the personnel? That makes that happen. How do you get the quarterback, the wide receivers, the offensive line to make that transition in one year? I think Clay Helton did an amazing job at Georgia Southern. Does it does it go into the next year? Does is Van Trees back? He was a one year guy, right? One and done. So yeah, so I, I don't know how, if if you, how you continue that momentum, but congratulations to Clay Helton, uh, the Eagles coming back from that off season from last year they were they were my surprise too this past weekend everything was focused on the west not knowing what was going on but we knew that the shots were going to be champions of the east and headed to the sunbelt conference championship and the guy that always has the front row seat for we love listening to him on the radio when we can find him online joe cashion did I say it right this time? <laughs> just just cashing. cashing. Just cashing. That's a lot simpler than it looks. Hey, one day we'll actually get it right there, Joe. But That's okay. Joe has the front row seat being the voice of the Chanticleers. Joe, tell me about this season and, and kind of how exciting was it coming into this this uh, this year? First of all, thank you for having me on and having the opportunity to talk about coastal football here tonight. This has been an exciting season for us. You know, not really a whole lot of you know expected. I mean, there were some expectations coming off 20 and 21, but given all that we had lost in terms of personnel, in terms of production, a lot of new faces on both sides of the ball, we were not picked to win the East. I think maybe second, you know, in some magazines, third and whatnot, and some others. Still expected to do well, but I don't know that anybody expected us to go nine and two. You know, quite frankly, and of course, a lot of those wins were very, very close. You know, we're we're a nine and two football team with a plus seven overall scoring uh, scoring differential this season. Plus seven, that's it. We have nine wins, outscored our opponents all together in eleven games by seven points, and so we've won a lot of close ball games. A lot of that's attributable to the the culture that we have. You know, our kids just believe that we're going to win. You know, game in and game out. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter the opponent. Doesn't matter where we are going into the fourth quarter, we, we just, you know, find a way to win. And that's kind of what we did nine out of 11 times this season. You know, be, being someone affiliated with a team, four wins, I definitely want to have the problem of only having a nine-win season. 
But but when you watch coastal football, there's nothing flashy. There's nothing great other than Grayson McCall. I think you can kind of circle him as, as kind of the X factor. But there's nothing that's just really like, all right, that's why they're winning. What is the secret to Shant's football? Well, I do think we do some things that are unique on offense that are tough to get ready for. You know, the spread option that we run. That's kind of difficult to prepare for. There's really not a lot of offenses – Hardly any of you know that, that do what we do and and do it with a guy like you just mentioned and Grayson McCall who runs it so well he knows you know where to go with the football every single time it seems like one interception this season that's it you know seven in his career over three seasons so he knows where to go with the ball how to run that offense we do it so very well when we execute we are very hard to stop on offense defensively we played well enough at times now we haven't been you know, as consistent really on either side of the ball that, that we would like. Defensively, we haven't been as consistent. We've had a couple of games where we just, you know, haven't played particularly well. The old Dominion game, we didn't play well, didn't play well offensively that you know, that day either. Uh, and then, of course, nobody really played well at all in any phase last week up at James Madison. So we just, yeah, you're like, I mean, you're right about the fact that we don't do a lot of flashy stuff, but we do some unique things that are hard to defend. And, you know, our defense has forced 21 turnovers this season, which is pretty good. You can live off that, you know, turning the ball over and stealing possessions from other teams. So we just find a way, you know, that's just what it is. You, you go week to week, you, you hear this all the time. I know it sounds cliche, but Kids talk about going one and oh, you figure out how to get this win and then move on to the next one. Doesn't really matter how you get there. You mentioned the defense and causing the turnovers. And, you know, Jamie Chadwell yesterday on his teleconference talked about how, in some ways, this was kind of going supposed to be a rebuilding year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's probably even more the case on defense. Was there anybody in particular that just surprised you with how much they stepped up this year? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I feel like we, we had several guys that kind of really stepped up and, and played well. I mean, when Shane Bruce was healthy or has been healthy this season, he's been a difference maker in there in the run game. When he was out, we really missed him. But he stepped in there, that linebacker spot, and has done a really good job for us. JT Killen in there is also a first-year starter. He's done awfully well. He's our leading tackler this season. Gerard Clark, we knew that was a known factor at nose coming in this year, but he has been so dominant in there. I mean, just the kind of NFL prospect that we thought that he was, and he really kind of showed that this season. I mean, he is so hard to block in there. When we play well defensively, he's leading the way because we don't let people rush the football. You know, he takes up those gaps, and he just dominates in there. When he plays well, he, you know, he's the leader of that of that defense, and, and you know, as far as I'm concerned. But we have had guys that have stepped up kind of across the board as a team that have, when we played well, they have played well. When we've had these breakdowns here and there, you know, it just kind of seems to, to go south on us some. But, yeah, we had a, a lot to replace on that side. And, you know, for the most part, I think we've done a fairly decent job of it. Do you feel that we've seen the last game of McCall wearing that till uniform? I hope not. <laughs> I'll put it to you that way. I hope not. You know, the prognosis was three to six weeks a few weeks ago. So we're kind of in that window now. It's just going to depend. You know, hopefully we'll see, you know, Jamie obviously noncommittal because we don't know anything yet about this weekend. Hopefully if we get a bowl game, whenever that is, that'll be another couple of weeks after. So at least maybe if not this weekend, hopefully the bowl game, because I I would, you know, the App State game was a great game for us to win. And he went out there and gutted that thing out after he hurt his foot in the third quarter and he came back on the field and, 
hit that big pass down towards the end to help us keep the football. And he went out there, you know, to take the last snap. And, you know, you're kind of thinking we knew he was hurt, thinking hopefully this isn't the last time we see him. Hopefully it wasn't the last time we see him, if not this weekend. And, of course, we won't know anything, you know, for another few days. Who knows? Hopefully in a bowl game we'll get to, you know, send him out in a way that he deserves after his career. And then, you know, the coaching carousel spinning wildly. Jamie Chadwell, of course, was going to be the head coach at Georgia Tech. Not true there. Then he was going to go to Nebraska. Not true there. Willie Fritz was going to Georgia Tech, and and Chadwell was going to Tulane. Is Chadwell really going anywhere, do you think? It's so hard to say. I mean, it just depends. It really depends. I, I, will, I will tell you this. It's not going to be about money. If he takes a job, it will not be because of money. You know, I, I think he likes it where he is. I think his family likes it where they are in, in a, you know, fairly close to his home state of Tennessee in a good, you know, place with good weather in a program that he is building. You know, now, obviously, you know, I, I'm not naive enough to think that he's going to you know finish his career at Coastal because there will be a job that comes along that will offer him more than what, you know, realistically that we can offer right now. I mean, that's just that's just being real. Right. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. At this point, you know, I, if I were to say, I, I don't think this year is going to be the year. I mean, I'm just going out on a limb. This is one man's opinion. I think I don't think this year is going to be the year. It could, it could be next year, or it could be later this year. Who knows? But, I mean, if anything's going to happen with the portal opening next week and then, you know, signing day coming up, coaching changes, they've got to get guys in place soon. Who knows? I don't think it's going to be this year. Hmm. Kind of along those lines, you talked about what is important to him not money's not the most important thing to him things like that you know obviously there's been a lot done in the program I guess getting you guys to where you can win consistently are there other things that are kind of like the next step of the phase I know the practice facilities coming and everything what's sort of the next step and you know this is what coastal needs to continue to compete at the level they have well, I think you just said it, uh, Shane. I, I, what has to happen is this indoor facility. We need we need to break ground on that, and I think that's coming soon. I mean, because it's an arms race. I mean, let's just face it. You know, you recruit off stuff like this, right? And we're recruiting now against now that we've added Old Dominion and James Madison and Marshall into our area. Obviously, going up against App. You know, for these last several years since we made the move up, and you got Georgia Southern, Georgia State, all of these teams recruiting against one another. Of course, you got Charlotte too in the neighborhood. You got East Carolina, all sorts of you know G five schools that we're going head to head against. We've got to have the things that they have. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. And that indoor facility is a huge thing. And hopefully soon, I'm hearing we're going to break ground on that. We also have a stadium expansion coming on the horizon hopefully where we can kind of close things in on that one end and you know add some amenities down there and make things kind of just you know kind of what other teams and other schools have you know what I mean I mean we've got some great facilities we've got great people that are running things at Coastal but we need to keep taking those steps we need to show that hey look you know what do we need to do to keep this thing going and I think if you know Jamie sees that and we're keeping on moving in the right direction yeah I, I think you know that that's kind of what he wants to see. And that's what a lot of fans want to see. No head to head game this year against Troy, your opponent in the Sunbelt conference championship game, this upcoming weekend. But over the past two years, you've played them at their place in Myrtle beach and swept them. How do you kind of see this season playing out as you kind of get that preview uh, as you prepare for the game against Troy? 
We've won the last three. You know, you go back to that 2019 game, the year that Jamie, that was his, that was his first full year. And they came to us and we ran a two-point conversion with about 30 seconds to go and beat them 36-35. And I kind of felt like at the time, that was an early November game. I thought, you know, that might be a turning turning of the corner kind of game because we struggled that year. We went five and seven. Of course, lost a couple after that, but that was a heck of a ball game. Troy has always had players. I mean, when we came in the league, holy mackerel, I, you know, there there wasn't a team that I felt like in the conference played. They, they were they were tougher and played with a harder edge than what Neil Brown's Troy's team, Troy, you know, Troy teams did. You know, they were just tough. I mean, they just got after you. And then I feel like they kind of lost their way for a couple of years. But, you know, now with John Summerall, they've really kind of, <laughs> you know, they, they go back to a 10-win season this year, and they've got one of the top defenses in all of college football. And, of course, you know, we've won the last two. We had that game in 2020 at Troy, 42-38, to 38, where we zoomed right down the field in 45 seconds and won, and won that game. And, you know, of course, last year, one touchdown game. We had to get a sack late to hold on to that thing. So I, I expect this game Saturday to be another close one. I really do. I think their their defense is awfully good. I think it'll be the best one that we've seen. Our coaches believe that. And, and if you know, if if we have you know QB one out there, you know we can move the ball and hopefully put some points on the board. And then our defense steps up, and it'll be a tight, close ball game. I that's how I, I see this thing going on Saturday. I like how he he, he goes nameless. He's just QB one. That's it. You know, that's it. Number ten, QB one. That's <laughs> that's how we know him around here. Got it. Pulls the trigger and makes things happen. But if if you do have to kind of go with your 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 guest QB, no pun intended. Well, maybe there was a pun in there. It, how how does that kind of change the dynamic of the game, or is it pretty much the same thing? Just maybe not quite as much run oriented as it would be for Grayson, or read oriented for Grayson. You know. How does Guest kind of adapt to that offense or that offense adapt to him, I should say? You know, he hasn't played poorly in the two games. I mean, you go back to the the uh, the, the Southern Miss game against a really, really good defense, and I thought he played fairly well. He, he threw one bad ball, excuse me, that got intercepted, and they, uh, they, they got a touchdown off that. But he was 7-14. to 14. He dropped some passes in there, the deep ball. You know, the deep shots, I think, are what we would do maybe a little more with him because Grayson is still trying to – you know, come back a little bit from that shoulder surgery that he had in the offseason. I think, you know, Jarrett might have a little bit of an ability to stretch the field maybe more than what Grayson does right now. And so you might you might look at a deep shot or two a little bit more with, with Jarrett out there than you would with Grayson. But he hadn't really played poorly. I mean, he had – there were several drops on him the other day that might have been able to get, you know, drives moving and sustain drives at James Madison. You know, the ball's right there. Ball's right there. you got to catch it. You know, Jared didn't do a bad job of throwing the ball there and, and running our offense. But, you know, then things kind of, you know, spun out of control a little bit there. But, uh, you know, obvious, obviously, I mean, this is no slam on Jared. We're just so much more dynamic and Grayson out there but because he knows where to go with the ball just about every single time. What, what play to get us into, where to go, and how to get us there. So, we'll see. What do you think is a bigger key for the shots on Saturday? Limiting Gunner Watson? or knowing where Carlton Marshall is on the defensive side of the ball. Well, Carlton Marshall's had a he, – he's had a career. He has feasted on us in a couple of ball games. I mean, I, you know, we, we've got to figure out where he is. But, I mean, they have so many defenders over there. You know, when you talk about a juvenile, he is really good. Dell Pettis on the back end and Slocum, and these guys are really, really good. And, 
you know, they've got a couple of other defensive linemen who are just outstanding. We've got to know where all those guys are on defense. We've got to sustain drives on offense against the defense gives up about 17 points a ball game, you know, and they are outstanding in the fourth quarter about getting people off the field. That's the biggest thing to me offensively. We get a drive going, we've got to sustain it and we've got to figure out a way to get points on the board. And then of course, you know, defensively, Obviously, two get stops, you know, try to slow down Gunnar Watson in an offense that, you know, at times they could be very dangerous. But I think the biggest thing for us on Saturday, sustained drives against what is what our coaches think is the best defense we've seen this year. So we appreciate Joe for joining us to talk about the shots. But now we have Thomas Gleason of the Trojan Wall coming on to talk about the real champs. The Western <laughs> Division, Troy Chance. Yes. Go Ten Western wins. Division. <laughs> listen, listen, six titles. You know about this, Jeremy, right? Six yeah, titles, sure. that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of titles. It yeah. is. It's a good thing to be, too. And, uh, you know, I that, I think that's kind of been the thing as, as, a, as a fan and alum, stepping back and taking a look at the big picture, uh, knowing that that is within reach, uh, that's, that's a pr- point of pride for me personally. Um, but you know, the, the whole mentality for this season for each of the, all the players and all the, all the coaches and everybody has just been one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, um, getting that, w- I'm sure we'll probably get to the miracle in a second, but like, it's just take it every single day. And, uh, you know, Every single day we've done it. Every single day Troy has won a game. It's nine straight, and it's been sweeter every single time. So, yeah. But Thomas, let me ask you this: how how many times do you just wake up screaming, thinking of that hail mary pass that prevented you from from getting that cold sweep of the sun? You know, you know. Up until the South Alabama game, it was every night. Um, <laughs> So once uh, the once the belt came back home after that rivalry game, I think that was the real thing that helped us fans sleep a little bit better at night. Um, but you know, then the Louisiana thing came along, the Louisiana game, and uh, Troy won it in the fourth quarter, and then Troy did the same thing against Army. Uh, so the dreams didn't go away; they just changed as to who was in them. <laughs> Yeah, here's the thing that I always describe Troy this year. It was a team that that kind of let you think that maybe you were going to beat them until the very end where you're like, oh, crap, I got to score some points. I'm behind. Right. right. That's exactly what it was. Um, and like, even if you go back and look at the Ole Miss game, that that's kind of been Troy's MO is that they're a second half team. Like I was not to, you know bring up some uh, harsh recent memories in the Arkansas State game, but oh, that's that's kind of how, how it's been. Well, I guess the ULM game too, because it's kind of been that you the opponent has been thinking this first half team against Troy, oh, what they're not that bad. You, this is within reach. Who? Yeah. You, what are they talking about? This isn't the dominating team. And then for some reason, they flip a switch in the fourth quarter. And, you know, it's, it is as heart as much as it is heartbreaking breaking for the other teams, it is uh, causing us to like buy more Prilosec in this fan oh. base. So. Oh, I, hell yeah. I'm I, sure that, I'm sure that the uh, uh, Troy Alabama's had a, a run on antacids. Absolutely. <laughs> since the start of the season. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
coming into the season, though, we really thought that it was going to be the Gunnar Watson show, that it was going to be the aerial yeah. attack, the passing. You had the great receivers, a good offensive line there with Austin Stidham. But really, it's been Kamani uh, Vidal that, that's really burst onto the scene. Is right. this really a surprise in, Troj- in, in the land of Trojans, or, or did he even kind of surprise y'all? So it is a little bit of a surprise. Um, but, yes, no, I think at this outset, knowing what weapons were on this team with – Tez Johnson and uh, Ray J. Johnson Sanders. And um, um, I can't remember all the names of that wide receiving core, but <laughs> I, I know coming into it, though, you, you look at around at all the weapons that were on in on this offense and you were going to, it would be uh, normal for you to assume that this was going to be more of a spread type kind of attack. I can't remember where I saw it, but I know for a fact at some point after Summerall was hired and he brought in Brock Hayes from, I think, Louisiana Tech. Uh, and he brought in uh, the guy from, who used to coach with the Patriots on the offensive line. I can't remember names. I'm bad with names right now. But he's bringing in these people and these pieces. And at some point, he straight up said, this isn't going to be the same Troy football you remember. We're going to run the ball. We're going to smash mouth people. And I remembered that. And I got excited about that, not only for uh, me as a fan and alum, but also for content creation, just to compare the two to see maybe, you know, uh, the Caleb Barker and the Brandon Silvers and the uh, Gunnar Watson up against a running Troy team. What? But as the season progressed, this first six games or so, you saw Gunnar Watson and Jarrett Dagey doing the passing thing and getting in, really getting it done through the air. And it was kind of like, oh, well, then maybe this is just more of the same. It's getting it done, but it's a little bit more of the same. But it feels like over the past few games, especially when the not to not to get into any not, not to downplay anybody, but ULM, Arkansas State, and Army are not necessarily the same qual- uh, caliber of team as Marshall, South Alabama, yeah. Western Kentucky, at least offensively or defensively. But when you look at the the way that the the schedule played out for Troy, the back half was a little bit easier, and so you got to see this offense really develop more. And the way it got done, I think one of those big second half adjustments that I just kept talking about. We realize it seems like the coaches realized you have to run the ball to set up the pass. That's how this offense works. And sure, it seems like every single game they're relearning that, but it's working. I don't know what's happening, but in the second half is where these uh, massive offensive rushing production is happening. Not only in the second half of the game, but in the second half of the season. Because Kamani Vidal and DJ uh, DK Billingsley. And uh, Jamontez Woods, even all three of them, we knew at the beginning of the season, they were really talented backs. And this was going to be a three headed monster. Well, mostly two headed monster this season. But you were going to see a lot of production out of them. It didn't really happen until recently. So it was a surprise to see it develop so late. But it shouldn't have been a surprise from the get go, because I guess we were kind of expecting it more based on what John Summerall was telling us. And that's a lot of words to say. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Nice. So, 10-win season. I mean, a historical season, great season. But you started off the year with the 28-10 loss to Ole Miss. Watching that game, though, Troy really was in the game. It, it, it was a – you're going against the SEC. They, they got a little bit more depth, a little bit, you know, faster athlete, right. whatever. But when, when you look at the final score, that 28-10, did you know at that point, okay, put that game away. It was SEC game. It was money game. But it showed that we were here. We were here to compete. Yes. And this and, season and is going to be big. I keep saying, going back to that second half team, and 
uh, how it shows up that this team is, shows up in those quarters. Uh, Troy held Ole Miss scoreless in the second half. Now, was that because the Rebels kind of, you know, put it into a lower gear and were just kind of like, we got 28 points, we're not going to worry about running up the score on Troy? Maybe. Was it because this defense actually stepped up and shut down Jackson Dart in the second half? Maybe as well. But I think everybody saw John Summerall coming into this game one on the road again in an SEC environment. We, we weren't expecting to win. Maybe the players, maybe the coaches were. They'll tell you that, that we were expecting to win. But big picture, we all knew that this was going to be kind of more, more of a uh, – just to see what this team was about on the grand scale of things. We weren't expecting to beat LSU and Nebraska out of the gate, but we were impressed with what we saw. Um, and, again, they, ran, they scored 28 points in the first half. And that's not necessarily a great thing. But again, that's played out the same way over the season that they're a second half team and they don't give up. And I think that is the biggest takeaway that we've had for this entire season and this, that one game. Um, we also knew that John Sumrall, just the way he came in and kept people on the team and kept players around that had been through um, the pain of the last three seasons, we knew it was kind of a, it was kind of a change. It was definitely a change into the guard but we knew it was a change into the guard back to the way things should have been. And so I think going into the Ole Miss game, a lot of fans were, you know, well, let, let's get through this. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see what they put on the field. And then we'll make judgments as the season progresses. Because you start the season against an Ole Miss that at one point was in the top 10, right? Like, <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to do as well as you would hope, but grand scheme of things, uh, it was a victory, even though it was a loss. So what are you expecting to see from this Coastal Carolina team? You're not going to get crazy in the call. So are you – what do you expect is going to happen in this game? So that's that's the thing that I've kind of been trying to dig into myself because uh, he's such an important part of that offense, like not just through passing the ball but managing the game. Um, and they have – it seems like – it feels like, at least in my perspective, that Coastal has won just about as many – single score games as Troy has through the season and it's kind of easy to pin it all on him but is that really the case they've got plenty of talent on defense but it feels like sometimes that defense has been exposed in games like um, maybe the old dominion or the uh, app state game Uh, it feels like that sometimes this offense has been exposed when they don't have Grayson McCall in there or maybe they try something different obviously they were exposed against James Madison but if you go back a game before that, they kind of held their own against Southern Miss and got it done. So I don't know what I'm expecting, but I know what this defense is about. And I know that whether or not Grayson McCall is on the field there, it's going to be, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm trying to be tactful about the saying this, but uh, I, I expect Troy to kind of tamper down the offense a little bit more, whether or not Grayson McCall is on the field. Um, he's kind of that I will say that mobile quarterbacks and running quarterbacks have kind of been a difficult, uh, a difficult weapon against this defense. If you look at the Louisiana game and the army game and the way that the more recent and, uh, Lane Hatcher with, uh, Texas state, the way they played and had that quarterback moving around so much, that's kind of been a little successful. So seeing Grayson McCall do that 
Troy might be if uh, preparing for that. But if they don't have him, then it kind of feels like this defense is going to be able to look to expose it just like James Madison did because they're kind of at the same level as this James Madison defense. Um, and that's, I mean, that's defensively and offensively. Uh, I guess that was the way you were going with that one. But offensively against their defense, it's going to be a completely different question. Obviously, 11 wins would be huge for this team if for whatever reason it's loss number three on the season. What does that do to this kind of historic season for the Trojans as they get ready for a, a bowl game? I think it's a little painful um, just because there's a feeling that Troy can and should get it done among this fan base, but this wouldn't be the first time we've experienced heartbreak. I mean, that miracle in, uh, in app state, the more we go back and look at it and the more we feel about it, it was right for app state fans to storm the field against Troy uh, after beating Troy on a last second touchdown. Um, knowing that Troy is the one in the conference championship game and not App State, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, we can live with that kind of deal. Um, it wouldn't nearly be as heartbreaking as that game, like we talked about. I, I probably won't wake up in the middle of the night knowing that uh, maybe Grayson McCall ran for 300 yards against Troy. Um, but it would be, it'd be a little bit of a letdown, but the whole mantra for this team, the whole mantra for the coaches and the players this year has literally been, so what, now what? You move on, you get to the next step. Um, and I know I'm kind of like being PR for the team at this point with the way I talk <laughs> about it. But the, the truth of the matter is, is this team, it, it, it doesn't stay down. And that has been bad for my heart, but, you know, great for my, fan, my love for the program as an alum. So in addition to football, obviously – Basketball's dominating as, as always with Scott Cross. Yeah. How, how do you see that kind of shaking out uh, this year with his team? You know, that, that that's kind of my preseason dark horse on the West side and maybe even for the league as a whole. Yeah. I, I noticed that um, there was some poll uh, that had, it was a, I don't know what account it was, but like maybe an hour or two ago, I saw the, uh, this, this Twitter account had a power poll of uh, Sunbelt teams and Troy was ranked fourth. Um, I, I expect Scott Cross to be – We the, the team hired him to come in and win maybe 20 games a year, compete for the title. Um, and he got to that point in year three, I think, last year. But um, it it's just keeping that momentum going. I think um, Troy beating Florida State was a big, big victory for the team, even though Florida State in, is kind of one of those down ACC programs this year. Um, it's still kind of a badge of honor for this team, but looking forward, uh, knowing that what Troy's faced, at least comparing it to Arkansas, is going to be equal or if not as good to what the, the way they played against Arkansas um, and some of the teams that they and Florida State maybe. But knowing that what they've gotten done against these supposedly better programs. And then looking at the Sun Belt schedule up down the road, it doesn't feel like uh, it's as much of an uphill battle as it used to be for the for the Trojans, which who have been you know at the bottom of the barrel for the past few seasons. Um, it's exciting to know that the basketball team, just in a vacuum, looking at this team, could potentially be another like gunning for the championship again. But we also know it's November, so we're just here for the funds, for the funsies at this point. 
Well, Thomas, that's all we have. We look forward to a great game on Saturday as the Trojans host the Shants for Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Tell people how they can find you and how they can check out your work. Yeah, well, um, for, I'm here on behalf of the Trojan Wall, which is at Trojan Wall F5. That's used to be Forgotten 5 on Twitter. Um, so you can find us there. I'm also doing uh, – I'm still working with Sunbelt Pages, which is at SB Pages. We're there too. So those are the two places you can find what, uh, what we're doing. But um, for all the Troy content you need, go to that first one, Trojan Wall. And the Trojanwall.com is our website. So I appreciate you all having me on. Appreciate you giving me a platform to uh, tell people to visit my website. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate the conversation, guys. This is uh, seriously, as an alum, this is uh, an exciting moment in Troy uh, athletics history. And I'm glad to be able to be, you know, at least documenting part of it. To put, to put a big bow on the regular season, we all game. We all came up with our fun belt Heisman, offensive, defensive, best game, worst game, coach of the year, highlight, and then peeking ahead into 2023, what game or games are you most looking forward to? Shane, kick us off there with, I think, our unanimous fun belt Heisman player of the year. Yeah, I mean – if it's unanimous, I think I guess I'll just go and say it. I had Todd Santeo. I think I guess we all have him as the uh, player of the year. Todd Santeo, player of the year, and how can you say no to that? Just a, a great all-around quarterback. He can run. He can throw. He can lead. When he's hurt, the team is hurt. Good, uh, great. I think that, yeah, uh, Santeo. Who, who else would compete with Santeo? Van Trees? I, th I think Van Treese was close so looking ahead. He was my selection for offensive player of the year. I feel like he was the big reason that the Eagles had the success that they did have. And so for that, I, I give it to Van Treese as offensive player of the year. You know, my offensive player of the year, I think Santeo is probably the guy. And I, I think Van Treese is a good selection too. But Labrum from uh, Marshall, he was by far, the guy with the most rushing yards this year and a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. So, or at least in my mind, because everybody's talking about Ali, right? So for, I, I, to me, he's probably the guy that offensively is the offensive, just because he, he seemed to dominate his position more than anybody else on uh, in the Sun Belt. But I, I pick any one of those three guys. Yeah. I had Liborn as my, Offensive player of the year as well. I mean, I think I would listen to arguments for Van Trees, Grayson McCall, I think is still in the conversation there. When you just look at his numbers and, you know, his record as a starting quarterback. Um, but yeah, I went with uh, Laybourne too. I just feel like, yeah, he, he was by far the best running back in the conference and his numbers in that, at that position, were probably be as impressive as, you know, a Centeo or a McCall or Van Treese, what they did at the quarterback position. Defensive player of the year, I think another unanimous selection there, Jason Henderson, the linebacker from Old Dominion. The guy averaged like a million tackles a game. He was a constant playmaker. He was very much that Monarchs defense and, and was what really kept them in the game 
because that that offense really seemed to be very anemic or very explosive and not very much in between. It was a yin or yang uh, situation on the offensive side. Yeah, and he was my defensive player of the year, too. I mean, when you consider the all-time leader NCAA in tackling is also in this conference, and he was not even close to where Henderson was this season as far as the number of tackles, I think it's just incredible to look at that number of stops that guy made on his own. So, Jeremy, our next category, the best game of the year. Give it to me of what you have for the best game of the year. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Go figure. And uh, I, I I hate to do this, and I hate that it's not even a a a uh, conference game because we've had we had tremendous conference games. Like for instance, I thought South Alabama versus Troy, that ten to six game that happened. I think it was a Thursday night, national TV. It it, it really sort of demonstrated that the Sun Belt was no longer the fun belt. And by that, I meant it wasn't like uh, uh, just all offense that, that the only thing the Sun Belt can possibly do is throw a bunch of passes and just sort of ignore all other facets of the game. So th- to me, that was a great game, but to me, the best time was week two when it was upset week for the P five programs. You had uh, Notre Dame going down to Marshall. You had, Georgia Southern beating Nebraska. You had Appalachian State taking down number six at the time, which is kind of funny, Texas A&M. It was just a great time. So I have to hand it. I, I, I'm going to give those three games, which I know is kind of cheating, but th- that's my. those were my favorite games. Shane, what do you have for best game of the year? I had the one that Jeremy mentioned. I had Troy, South Alabama. Like you said, national TV, uh, old school throwback type of game that was down to the wire against maybe the two best teams in the conference, two 10-win teams, in-state rivals. I mean, it's hard to just kind of beat all of that put together in one game. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, I didn't even mention it was the battle for the belt. I mean, it had everything, Shane. That game had everything. My best game, week three. With all the hype that happened in week two, you knew that there was going to be a letdown in week three, but there was not, as there was the miracle on the mountaintop of Troy and App State. Yes, I I still admit Troy was robbed, but with all the hype that was going on, college game day being in Boone, that final Hail Mary to to really get the the Mountaineers that that huge win and just give the nation a true taste of fun belt football. I love yeah. it. That was my best game. <laughs> Which is funny because it was like the opposite of South Alabama versus uh 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 versus Troy where it was nothing but defense. This was just yeah bongo bonzo offense and that was a cool game. Wow we had some great games in the Sun Belt. I think there's some games we haven't even touched on. I mean, first of all, Coastal Carolina, they were the kings of just coming up with squeaky wins. And so I think Southern Miss had like a string of three games where they won by less than a touchdown. So there was a lot of great games this year that were decided at the last few moments that uh, I, I think the Sun Belt, in terms of entertainment, really did deliver this year. And I hope ESPN takes notice and starts putting us in even better time slots. For all the greatness 
There were also badness. There you go, Jeremy. Oh, okay. made up word for you. All right. The Worcester football games. For me, I still have heartburn over this game. UCLA 32, South Alabama 31. <laughs> I told you I'm not getting over that game anytime soon. No. And you know and, what? That that was a feather that was completely missed from the Sun Belt. Yeah, that that was like drunken goggles trying to put the key in the door to get into your apartment. It 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 would have made two straight weeks of P5 upsets, and we just couldn't get it. And and the damn fake field goal. <laughs> and and you know, the play what if if South Alabama wins that game. Oh, and man. Troy doesn't fall on the Hail Mary in the best game we just talked about. Think about what Troy is playing for this week if those two things happen. And you're talking about just, you know, a fraction of an inch away from, you know, the Sun Belt champion being in the Cotton Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, you know, <clears throat> and that was like right there at the beginning of the season, right? When, when the Sun Belt was coming up with all these upsets, which makes me even matter that the Sun Belt isn't being represented at all right now by the College Playoff Football Committee. I'll probably complain about that later. But it, it, to go back a little bit, I, I hate to do this, but there, there were a couple games that we missed on some of the best games. And those are two stunning comebacks from James Madison. First against Appalachian State, where they were down big in the first half. And then against Georgia State, where they were down big in the first half. Came back from impossible odds. So, again, those were great games. I thought the worst game, though, and, and don't kill me, uh, uh, Tibbs, but the worst, <laughs> the worst game I saw this year from the Sun Belt was Army versus the ULM Warhawks. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a complete meltdown. Thank you for letting me relive that. I I will be uh, sending my counseling bill to you so that I can uh, try to make it through that. And just so that you know, that's a 2023 matchup in Malone Stadium as well. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. well, good. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're going to look forward to that too. But And it should be a good game. But and it started, what was funny about that game was that it started off good. It started off with ULM and Army kind of, you know, you know, trading field position or whatever and ULM looking really good so that I switch it on and it's just nothing but army plowing through ULM oh my god it was the hardest thing to watch so yeah that's my worst game of the year <laughs> my worst was Charlotte beating Georgia State from 241 just there was no excuse for anybody in the Sun Belt to lose to Charlotte this year that was the worst performance in the conference of the season, that was the worst game for me. Yeah, that's pretty. That was a pretty rough game. It, it sort of underscored what Georgia State was this year, which was just a team that just could not figure out how to win. It was a little bit embarrassing. I, I'll, I'll give you some a close example of that. Was Arkansas State having so much trouble with UMass? That was a huge, even in a win, I think uh, Arkansas State won something like 38-36 or whatever. It was just gross to watch. So, uh, yeah, the, with all the good wins that the Sun Belt has come up with, we certainly did have our share of bad losses. But the man that's in charge of all of the football, the head coach, coach of the year, my vote for coach of the year, Southern Mrs. Will Hall. 
bounces back from year one of three and nine to go six and six with an OT game against Liberty, a great showing really against Miami, and beat Tulane, the team that will probably will be the G5 representative in the college playoff. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me angry. I don't want to start being mad. But, yes, that is a great pick, Tibbs. Will Hall pulling Southern Miss from the, the, the depths of hell into, into a competitive and bowl-bound uh, team. That's pretty awesome. I, I think my pick, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I think it's going to end up being the pick that, that, uh, that the Sun Belt winds up bestowing. I think it's going to be John Sumrall, first-year head coach. Yeah, disappointing season for the Tro- Trojans the year before. Sumrall comes in there, provides a new energy, uh, a new identity for the Troy Trojans. I've never seen this much enthusiasm for for Troy and the Trojans since Neil Brown days, which was uh, a few years ago. I, I got to give it to John Sumrall. And, and even though there are tremendous candidates like Will Hall, uh, like Clay Hilton, like Coach Signetti, there's just so many good guys you can pick from. But Sumrall has to be my guy. I'm with you. I could be talked into a handful of different people, including everybody that's been mentioned. But I, I also went with Sumrall for all the same reasons. Really? You wouldn't be Coach Signetti? I, I could be talked into him, but I, <laughs> yeah, I went with Sumrall. So we, we, before we wrap up the show there, we close out looking at the 2023 schedule. A lot of non-conference games there. The ones that I really have circled, South Alabama travels to Tulane. I have the feeling that the Jags are going to have another one-and-done quarterback like they've done here the past few years and be able to really pull off that upset once again of a Sun Belt going over the ACC or the AAC. Thanks, Jeremy. You have me mixed up with my letters there. It's my fault. The the, the other game, and, and it would be great to have kind of that clean sweep, Southern Miss host Tulane, they could go 2-0 against the Wave, as well as having the Sun Belt go 2-0 over the AAC champions once again. Yeah, and, but then you also talked about ULM versus Army. Isn't that something that you would like to see? I'd rather see ULM over Texas A&M to mark two <laughs> years in a row that the Sun Belt goes in, gets a check, and leaves <laughs> old rivalry behind. Shane, who, who, who do you look at for next year? The one I picked out of the list that you had was uh, JMU going to Virginia, partially because I'll be there. Looking forward to it. It's huge, huge thing in this part of uh, this part of the country. Um, it'll be also, I believe, the first game at Scott Stadium since the uh, tragic shooting at J- at uh, UVA. So that will add a whole nother, a whole nother unfortunate dynamic to it but at the same time i also expect the crowd to be probably close to 50 50 between jmu and uva fans in charlottesville so i think that one will be an interesting to watch for the Sun Belt. <clears throat> well personally you know I, I i love conference rematches and i'm looking forward to getting another crack at troy especially after our last game where we played so well, but uh, <laughs> mm. 
for me, it'll always be Arkansas State versus Memphis. Those are the only four games, or one of the one of the games that's set in stone. Uh, Memphis is uh, a, a huge rival to Arkansas State, even if Memphis doesn't know it. Uh, winning against an AAC team is always nice because, quite frankly, I feel like the Sun Belt has surpassed the AAC, and yet the AAC continues to get favor from the the the, the committee and. A, bugs the hell out of me and just beating those guys. It used to be, hey guys, it used to be that Conference USA was the, the conference that I really wanted to choke the hell out of. Now it's the American. I want you to join me in that, guys. Join me in hating the American. Tibbs, uh, Jane, no, join we, me we, in this. We support America. That's why we lost Army. <laughs> that, that could be true. So yes, that's the game I'm looking forward to most. Uh, uh, Memphis comes to visit Arkansas State. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have a bunch of hot dogs and hamburgers, and I can't wait to grill the Tigers. So as we close out the show, plugs, promos, parting shots. Also, give me your take. Who do you see winning the game on Saturday and lifting the Sunbelt Conference Championship Trophy from Keith Gill? That was just be my parting shot. I'm, I'm picking Troy all the way on that one. Um, yeah, I think, I think they'll handle a coastal fairly easily. Uh, I'm going to make a pick and a parting shot. Uh, the, the pick, you know, coastal Carolina, I love, I, I began, I, I grew to love as the season went on, thought they were just a very complete team. That defense is stout. The offense just seems to put up just enough points to win. They're kind of fun to watch. Then I witnessed that slaughter that JMU put down on Coastal Carolina, and it really changed my view. I've got to pick Troy. Troy's just the more complete team. Now that they have Vidal running like a maniac, I feel like there's just no way Troy loses this game, which is probably why Coastal will win, but I have to pick Troy. And uh, as far as my parting shot, it was going to be about how much I hate <laughs> the the committee right now, the college playoff committee, the way they're completely ignoring the Sun Belt, the way they just sort of seem to elevate American teams like it's just some lazy thing that they put at that that they, that they tag at the end of the poll. They're not really taking it seriously. It's really bugging me. I don't know why they love to lane so so much. It drives me crazy. But that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk a little bit my parting shot being about the transfer portal, <coughs> which. If you're following social media right now, you'll see a Are lot of Are you leaving guys. us, Jeremy? What? Are you leaving us? No. No, oh, okay. no, I'm not oh. transferring. Oh, oh okay. my God. Well, I was going to transfer to the group of five guys, but the NL, NIL money just wasn't there. So I'm going to stay here for another season. <laughs> no, no. I, I don't mind the transfer portal so much. It kind of works for us or for smaller teams as it does for bigger teams. But one thing that I kind of want to explore is this idea of compensation for development, a developmental fee. For instance, you know, we've got guys that are leaving in the transfer portal that Arkansas State has spent two or three years developing into a great player. Now they're going to go somewhere else, not needing any of that development. Why should we not be compensated for that? Why shouldn't Why shouldn't a, a JMU or a ULM or anybody in the Sun Belt just trying to make ends meet, trying to put out a good team. Why can't? Why should they have to waste their resources developing a punter or a quarterback or a quarterback or a running back and then have them leave and you have nothing in return? 
So <clears throat> I think for the next week, I'm going to explore this idea of, of some sort of developmental fee and see how that, how that, uh, how that bounces off the internet. So for my Sunbelt Championship pick, because I feel like I've been cheering for the wrong side all year Ooh. long, I'm going to okay. try a little reverse psychology. All right. I'm breaking out the tail this weekend in hopes that my cheering of the sea chickens can <laughs> propel Troy to the win. Okay. Now, hey, before you go on, is there some such thing as divisional pride? You know, you and I, Tibbs, Creatures of the Sunbelt West. Uh, Shane, a snobby creature of the snobby East. <laughs> and he's an, an Eastern champion. Don't forget that part. <laughs> That's right. And an Eastern champion. Do you feel some sort of pride for your division? Is that valid? I'm doing my part okay. by saying that the teams I cheer for are typically the ones that are taking the L's. So <laughs> okay. as I don my shots till know that my heart is bleeding the scarlet of Troy. <laughs> okay wow all right i like that so we will recap the championship game next week and dive in headfirst to the postseason of volleyball that jmu once again dominated that as well and a lot of uh Sunbelt Conference teams going into the postseason there as well, and then jumping into basketball, guys, as we are just weeks away from Sunbelt Conference action opening up there. So for Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Jeremy Harper, HowlRazor.com, Shane Metlin of the Daily News record that Jeremy can never remember. We appreciate you listening in and look forward to seeing you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.